Welcome to Earth Voice. I'm your host, Elizabeth Claire Alberts. I feel like every day I've done something tangible. There is no one who's going to fight for these animals. They have to be protected. And you can make positive change happen. And it's time to speak up. You are those animals' hope. This fourth episode of Earth Voice takes you to North Sumatra, Indonesia, where native forest is being rapidly destroyed to make way for palm oil plantations. Animals like orangutans are struggling to survive. I traveled to North Sumatra in 2016 to learn about the Sumatran Orangutan Conservation Program and interview its team members, including director Ian Singleton, landscape protection specialist Graham Usher, and senior vet Yeni Sarswati. So sit back and listen and enjoy the journey. standing in front of one of the most regal animals I've ever encountered. Lucer, an adult male orangutan, has a strong muscular body, rich red fur, and pronounced cheek pads jutting out from his solemn face. But Lucer has a very sad story, and he permanently lives at the rehab center run by the Sumatran Orangutan Conservation Program, or SOCP, in North Sumatra. Ian Singleton, SOCP's director, tells me what happened to him. Uh, he was confiscated in Aceh many years ago, probably around 2003 or something like that. And then he came through the system and was released in Jambi, in uh, the reintroduction centre there. And then about two years later, uh, the guys down there got reports that some villagers had been shooting an orangutan. So they went down and they found it was him. So he'd wandered out of the out of the forest into some farmland. And so three, I think three farmers were there sort of carrying their air rifles, shooting squirrels and stuff, and decided to shoot him as well. So he's got, he was shot 62 times. We've taken 14 pellets out, so he's still got 48. Um, But he's got two in one eye and one in the other, so he's totally blind. Loser's story is far from unique. Sumatran orangutans, who are critically endangered, are facing conflicts every day as people destroy the forest to build homes, roads, and farms. Many crops are grown in North Sumatra, but the most common crop is palm oil. Palm oil is in over 50% of the things that we buy in a supermarket. On the way, you see nothing beside palm oil. Indonesia is the largest palm oil producer. conversion of lowland forest to oil palm. It's very important. It fuels a lot of the industry. If palm oil wasn't there, it would be something else and we would be using and exploiting in some other way. Palm oil is something everyone is talking about, and understandably so. There are over 4 million hectares of palm oil plantations on the island of Sumatra alone. And the liquid that's harvested from palm oil trees goes into many everyday products. Soap, lipstick, shampoo, chocolate, bread, potato chips, peanut butter, and breakfast cereals are just a few examples. But it's not always easy to identify in a list of ingredients. It can be called many different things, such as palmate, sodium lauryl sulfate, hydrogenated palm glyceride, and organic palm kernel oil. In order to fulfill the insatiable demand for palm oil, people are steadily cutting down native forest to grow this ubiquitous crop. There are large plantations, smallholder farms, 
and also a lot of illegal planting. Ian, who's lived in North Sumatra for nearly 20 years, has witnessed unthinkable destruction. It's a, it's a massive, massive problem. And the scale, they're not, you know, a little plantation here and a plantation there. It's entire landscapes. You know, you can drive for four, five, six hours or more through just about nothing else but palm oil. And in areas, that's areas that was forested just uh, 10, 20 years ago. Deforestation in North Sumatra means the loss of the looser ecosystem, a 2.6 million hectare region of some of the world's richest forest systems. The Lerza ecosystem is probably one of the, if not the most important area for conservation left in Southeast Asia. It's special because it has a wide range of habitats. It's home to unique assemblages and groups of animals. Uh, it's the only place in the world, for instance, you'll find a tiger, orangutan, uh, elephant and rhinoceros all living in the same uh, ecosystem. Uh, it ranges from coastal peat swamps with very, very high levels of uh, densities of orangutans, for instance, up to uh, mountains over 3,000 meters high. That's Graham Usher, the landscape protection specialist at SOCP. He's specifically worried about the loss of lowland forest, which hosts a high density of plants and animals, including orangutans. This is the richest of all rainforests. It's in terms of the number of animals it supports, but also the number of species. We actually have no idea what we've already lost. We really don't know how many species we've already lost um, because it's just gone. And it's still happening. If we want to save the Sumatran orangutan, if we want to save the Sumatran tiger, the Sumatran elephant, we have to save these areas. It's as simple as that because uh, these are large species, they need large areas, and we are really down to the last little bits of uh, lowland rainforest for these species. When forest disappears, orangutans are forced to venture into towns and farms to find food. And this leads to trouble. Ian describes a common scenario. Say on the edge of uh, the national park, you might have a, a farmer who's got two hectares and he's got a couple of durian trees and if the durian's in fruit an orangutan that lives in that forest there may come and steal his durian and he, if he's got his gun with him he'll shoot it he'll put 10 20 pellets into it and it'll go back into the forest and then next year it'll come out and do the same thing at the durian season and he'll shoot it again and after three or four of them he's got a hundred pellets inside him and he falls out the tree dead um, and, and if there's an, an infant there then they'll take that infant home Baby orangutans are often sold into the pet trade, even though doing so is highly illegal. As soon as SOCP finds out about an orangutan being kept as a pet, they team up with local authorities to rescue the animal. Yeni Sarswati, a senior vet at SOCP, tells me about Ramadani, a baby orangutan who was taken away from a local family. When Ramadani coming in quarantine, the condition is quite very, very bad because she's on malnutrition. So she should be, uh, from the egg, uh, we estimate her egg is around one one years. But the normally orangutan in the wild for one year old, the body weight is, should be up from three kilos, but uh, she just 2.4 kilograms. So, and she cannot doing anything, she just lying and then 
Yes, this is like a sister's, of course, because she's losing the mother. Ramadani is in good hands now, but Yeni says it's emotionally taxing to see severely neglected orangutans. Of course, I'm so sad because I'm human. <laughs> and I'm a woman, so my maternity, oh, sometimes I feel I look in the babies without the mother. So, and when I look at the eyes from the baby, sometimes um, this is very deep for me. It is my grateful time when I see the uh, the baby can growing in quarantine, and then finally I bring them in release site, and then they going on the forest. It is very I'm very happy about it, yeah. and sometimes I crying. <laughs> Very young orangutans like Ramadani need a lot of extra care. But in general, SOCP tries to limit contact with its rescued animals. Ian explains why. And we try and get them healthy and get them with other orangutans as quick as possible and not humanize them because they've all gone through this, you know, when their, when their mother was killed, they've gone through this separation trauma. And then they've probably ended up at somebody's house where the mother of the family might be maybe loved them to bits for two or three weeks and then got bored of them and stuck them at the back in the chicken shed. And so they've got, kind of gone through this separation trauma twice. And the last thing we want to do is humanize them when they get here. And so they have to go through it again for the third time. So we, if they're independent already, then we're hands off, get them with other orangutans and that's the way it goes. And um, we see it, it very, it works because when we're releasing these animals in Janto and Jambi now, we. You know, once they're out the cages, they're not running up to people and climbing up to be held. You know, they're, they're going up into the trees and interacting with the other orangutans. For SOCP, as well as other local organizations, this rescue work never seems to end. But how do we fix this problem? One solution offered to consumers is to only buy products containing sustainable palm oil. In theory, this puts less strain on native forests and wildlife I wanted to learn more about this, so I met with Olivier, an owner of a sustainable palm oil company. He was happy to talk to me, but wanted to keep the name of his company anonymous. The key to sustainable palm oil is to understand what are your interactions. What, how can you limit negative interactions, maximize positive interactions. If you're talking about new plantations, it can mean really how do you plan your plantation. You know, being sustainable, the major impact of being sustainable it's negative impact for a company, it's how little you can plant. Because if you are sustainable, you limit yourself. You will not plant here, you will not plant there. You will not plant on that type of land, or you will, to look again back at the landscape, you will decide, fine, I will leave a massive corridor between in my estate. Why? Well, you are talking about orangutans because maybe it's a very important area for orangutans. Maybe it's an important area for elephants. Or you might find other gibbons. I mean, it's not only the big key species, you have other species and you then plan differently. You do not plan just on how more efficiently can I plant on that land. You, in, you include in your process how you, as I say, what's your impact on what's outside of your plantation. Careful planning of palm oil crops sounded like the right thing to do. And I understood why sustainable palm oil was a more ethical choice. But I wasn't entirely convinced that this was the only solution. When Ian took me to a palm oil plantation in a village outside of Medan, I saw how harmful any kind of palm oil company could be. This particular area, the company is one of the longest operating companies here. It's been here since 1906, I think. So 
this was probably cleared uh, around then and then used for probably rubber mm. uh, and then converted into palm oil uh, in the 70s or 80s or something like that. Mm -hmm. So this in this region, the, this particular company considers its reputation is good because they haven't chopped any forest down for a long, long time. Look, just look around you. you can you hear? I mean, I think I just heard a bird, which is kind of unusual. You can't see any. Uh, you can't see any other wildlife. There's not many insects around or anything. Don't see any lizards or anything which you would see in most places. But what you do see is cows, <laughs> as you just heard. It always strikes me just how nothing is here. There's, I mean, what what is here? Look around you. You've got these huge palms. You've got some epiphytes like you know a few species of uh, orchid and and other epiphytes that grow on the trunks and ferns and mosses. And then on the ground, you've got grass and ferns, basically, with one or two other little weedy things around it, and pretty much nothing else, nothing at all. It's not just the lack of biodiversity that's noticeable to Ian. It's also the lack of workers. You often hear how, you know, the, the, the industry is always saying that, you know, it, Anti-palm oil is anti-poverty alleviation, and by expanding these palm oil plantations, you give loads of people new jobs and inject big money into the economy, yeah? Now look around you. Can you see a single human being anywhere right now? No, not one, right? The number of people who actually work on this plantation on a daily basis is minuscule. You know, it's probably just four or five people for a whole three hectares or something like that. And they're getting paid a pittance. And so this is a classic example because this plantation has been here for over a hundred years. Now, when they came, there was anybody who was living here, the villages, they were living in little wooden houses with uh, no car and the schools were made of wood and they didn't have any books. And guess what? After 110, 120 years, it's still pretty much the same. None of the money from these plantations is really staying in this local area and filtering down to these local communities. It all gets, it all ends up in the big city of Medan and then goes on to other cities in Indonesia and other countries. You know, it does not stay in the local area. A tiny amount stays here. And then what you have is even, you know, to compound the effect is that if you do have local people here that do manage to make a bit of money, you know, they maybe have a coffee shop or they get a job in the office or the factory here, what can they do with it? There's no land to buy. You know, there's nothing to invest your, your, your money in. You, there's not even a square, there's not, there's not a free square meter here that they can buy and then plant crops or rice paddy. It's all been taken up by this company who sends its money elsewhere. Ian and the SOCP team are working hard to find solutions to these problems through research, education, habitat protection, and of course, rescue and rehabilitation of wild animals. In the town of Bukit Lawang, I also got to meet Jesse Panazola, who at the time was a student at the University of Adelaide. And she had some interesting things to say about forest regeneration in Sumatra. My research is about looking at how 500 hectares of oil palm plantation was converted into secondary forest and how the critically endangered Sumatran orangutan and Sumatran elephant have come back to live in this new created forest, which is only five years old. There's two ways you can do it. There's natural regeneration, whereby you just cut down all the palm oil plantations, all the oil palm, and then just leave everything and then the forest will naturally regrow. Or there's the other option, which is what the OIC did, where you select certain plants and then you plant them. You get the community together, start up a nursery and you plant a whole wide range of plants to 
create diversity in the environment. So you make sure there's not just weeds or whatever. You can get like different fruits and different grasses and different tall trees and small trees. While it's impossible to recreate original biodiversity, Jesse found that regenerated forests bring back native animals. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom, but I can see the positives. And I know if we keep monitoring our projects and keep seeing what's happening, even if you have negative outcomes from your project, you can change that and manipulate it so you can push for positive outcomes and you can make positive change happen. But you don't need to travel to Sumatra to foster change. According to Ian, everyone can play a role in solving this problem. Being mindful of what products we buy is a good first step. You've got all these choices. You can just uh, bury your head in the sand and buy anything without ever checking. You can try and boycott palm oil uh, 100%. Or you can try and select what they call certified sustainable palm oil. Or you can just try and reduce your consumption. You've got all those different choices and each has a different impact. Graham, SOCP's landscape protection specialist, says it's also crucial for everyone to speak up about this issue. It's really important for people to make their, their voices heard. So if you are concerned about rainforest destruction and you know it's being caused by oil palm development, then indeed be very careful about what you buy with palm oil in it. At the very least, try and make sure it's from sustainable sources. If you see terrible wildlife markets or, or meat markets and mistreatment of animals, um, trade in illegal species, report it. Get it out there in the open. It's very important for people to criticize. People don't criticize, nothing will improve. This audio story couldn't have been made without the help of many donors and supporters, including Russell and Beverly Lamb from Eco Down Under, Jacob Round of Round Sound Music, Shannon Burroughs, and Hi Udia. And a huge thank you to Ian Singleton at SOCP, who said yes when I asked to make a last-minute trip to Indonesia to learn about orangutans and palm oil. If you'd like to learn more about the Sumatran Orangutan Conservation Program, visit their website, which you can find on the Earth Voice Facebook page. This is the fourth and final episode in Earth Voice's first series. Thanks so much for listening. Now it's your turn to speak up. <laughs>